0: Hello and welcome to an all-new 2024 episode of the 3-Bid League Podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co-host Matt. And non-conference play has come to a close, as long as you're willing to pretend that that Duquesne-Chicago State game is not happening in a month here. But a 10 play is upon us. And that means it's time for the return of Power 8 Hot Takes because, ladies and gentlemen, the Atlantic 10 is one of the eight best conferences in college basketball again. And to commemorate this momentous achievement, we're joined by the one, the only, the most frequent guests on this on this <laughs> segment, Stu Ludeke. Stu, thank you yeah. for coming on. Hell yeah. Round five, is it? Something like that? So, I think we did a preseason one too, so it might be... It might be around yeah. six. It depends how we count you jumping in at like the hour and a half mark last year when when Chris Pyle took your place.
1: Oh yeah. That was so electric. Uh yeah, I, I'm starting to run away with it. So any other guests you've had on more than once, like, let's see it. Like come at me.
2: Well yeah, Stu, I mean we have to let you be our, our record setting guest. And I, I think to kick it off just and this might maybe even be a hot take for you. I have no idea, but since this topic seems to pop up every month or so these days, let's just open it up with this. What are your thoughts on Conference USA right now? Um, spiritually and
1: emotionally, just as a gut reaction, it kind of feels saddening. Uh, just because I'm a basketball purist, and that side of it is uh, not encouraging. But I'm sort of also trying to let my rational brain understand, um, be open to the possibilities on the football side of things. So that's what I'll say. I'm, I'm not there, but I'm trying, and I think I can be there uh, when the vision is a little more fleshed out.
2: Yeah, certainly a, a polarizing issue in the UMass commi- uh, community right now. Although I think Tyber and I would both agree. The, the biggest loss would be losing you and all of the other members of UMass Twitter that keep us entertained, especially during some of these games that will be coming up over the next two months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. Like half the fun of like the whole culture on Twitter is like
2: the community
1: that's been built up. So it'll be hard to sort of reboot that, so to speak, uh, while also keeping in touch with old friends. So. I'm I'm trying to not have any expectations, like get my hopes up about certain things or be ready to be disappointed about certain things just so I can, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen despite how I feel about it. So I'm just ready for it. And uh, and I hope we make an NCAA tournament in some fashion soon.
0: Yeah. And unless Robert Davis Jr. and Jalen Curry really turn out to be special players here, I think the biggest loss has to be the loss of UMass Twitter. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the biggest contribution being brought to this league. Although uh, apparently, that's about Malin all we've brought to the league in a the last decade, So yeah,
2: last I mean, we'd be losing Frank Martin's press conferences. Those have been toned down a little bit this year, but that yeah. would that would be a pretty crushing blow, too. I would say.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't hear as much about calzones. That'd be sad, but yeah, there's a few things that come up.
2: But I guess on a more positive note, maybe, this was one of our over-unders going into the season, Tyler. We debated what the number would be attached to this episode when we got to conference play. I think we both said it would at least be a Power 10 hot takes. I don't think any of the three of us truly thought this would be the Power 8 hot takes, though. The return for the first time in probably three or four seasons.
0: Yeah, it's this just kind of summarizes what we've talked about so far that while we're not back to the glory days of even like 2017, 2018 with this league, things are definitely better than the last few. We're getting back to the place that we have a surefire at large team. We can actually reasonably think about a three bid possibility, which is something I want to talk about later in a it, something that would need to happen in order for that to be accomplished is one of my hot takes and the power 8 just means that the A10 is going to be relevant again come March
2: yeah it's it's going to give us certainly more to talk about although in the name of fairness we're, we're not just going to leave you with power 8 hot takes since the A10 I, I don't think we can say it's completely out of the woods and there's still possibilities of one bid so we'll each do 3 tonight give you a power nine and Stu, I think since you're our guest, do you want to kick it off with one of your hot takes on what we're going to see the rest of the season? Sure. So my first take has to do
1: with uh, the St. Joe's Hawks. Um, I am going to go out on a limb and say that Eric Reynolds is the leading scorer and player of the year in the conference. Um, I say that because St. Joe's is obviously very good. Um, but I think he's best situated as a good player on one of the very good teams um, to sort of become a guy uh, in conference play. And especially on the Hawks, when things sort of become a rock fight on those, on those cold and lonely nights on in January in empty arenas, uh, I think we're going to see sort of the star power um, that he has take over. So I think, A, because of the success of the Hawks overall, and uh, B, because he sort of becomes a clear-cut go-to guy on an otherwise, surprisingly, at least for me, relative to the Billy Lang era uh, talented roster. Um, Yeah, I'm going to put my stock in Eric Reynolds Island. So right now he's sitting in
0: fifth in scoring, two points back of day Grant as the leader. I don't think that's so far-fetched, especially with the fact that he still hasn't shot the ball great from three this year. I think the tougher thing to justify is the player of the year pick. That's where it gets a little spicy. So I'll ask you then in conjunction, does St. Joe's have to win the conference for him to take that award?
1: Mm, no. Um, I actually envisioned Dayton like everybody else, uh mostly winning the conference. Um the thing about Dayton is I think that their stats are going to be more spread out across the board. Uh even if you say Holmes is is the guy and the best player, I think that they're gonna be close enough in their success. I don't think Dayton's gonna run away with the league and there's obviously a huge pack of teams that could be right below them or at or above them, but I think Eric Reynolds is going to be so good on a slightly less uh, talented Hawks team, and it'll be enough to take the award.
0: Yeah, and scratch my one comment. I forgot that he went six of eight from deep against Iona since that game Mm -hmm. happened on flow, and so he is actually now over 40% for the year from deep.
2: Yeah, I would say with that one, I think Derron Holmes has to be the favorite and he would be I in my eyes the non-conference player of the year although his points and rebounds have actually gone slightly down I'd say overall he's having a better season because he's gotten way better as a passer and ball handler but if St. Joe's is in the at-large discussion at the end of the year and it's because Reynolds increases his conference play numbers to 21-22 points a game I I could see that happening and having a a realistic case, especially maybe the voters would give St. Joe's and Reynolds a little more bit more credit just since they haven't really been here before, at least not for several years. But uh, I I can roll that into my first hot take because, and I I kind of hate getting into a a discussion of where I see the league ending up so early, but it involves St. Joe's and in in my eyes right now, I, I think Dayton and St. Joe's are pretty clearly the two best teams in the league i know st joe's in particular is hanging around with a lot of others like bonaventure duquesne george mason in both net and ken palm rankings but i see dayton and st joe's they play each other on february 6th i believe i think they're both going to be eight and one going into that game and we'll see the two of them separated from third place by at least two games at the end of the year. So I think it's going to be a two horse race in the a ton.
0: So I, and this is something I'll actually talk about with my takes. I do believe that this ends up being two teams separating themselves from the rest partially because Dayton's going to do so well this year that they'll end up somewhere in that like 14, 15, 16 win grouping and at that point, it's just going to be hard for more than one other team to come up and chase them. But I'm not I'm not fully sold that it's St. Joe's yet.
2: I, I think for me, it, it just comes down to the defense. How impressive that's been this year is one of the top, top units in the conference. And the, the other aspect, we talked about this a lot about a month ago at this point, where the Hawks were still taking a ton of threes and we didn't know if that was going to be the way to go and the most efficient use of their offense. They're up to top 50 in the country in three-point shooting percentage now. And on the insane volume of threes they're taking, all of a sudden we have them as a top 100 offense in Ken Palm too. So it's despite the Charleston loss, which does dampen my opinion a little bit, I just think the team's getting a little bit more well-rounded where even with some of those big wins early, it took a few weeks and games for... St. Joe's to really figure out their offense. And I think it's starting to come together this time of the season.
1: So, Tyler, let me ask you, if you don't have St. Joe's in that spot, who do you have of that sort of like 75 through 110 mega cluster, like jumping out to join Dayton?
0: I think right now I'm probably between Duquesne and St. Joe's. And it may be as simple as coming down to, can one of them find a way to sweep the other? Because since they play each other twice.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that throughout the standings.
0: I still have a lot of St. Bonaventure skepticism. VCU, I I still have some thoughts I want to talk about with them. George Mason's going to get themselves into the discussion, partially by virtue of their super easy schedule. They don't play any of the other really good teams twice but mm-hmm. they're just not as talented as any of these other squads.
1: Fair enough. What do you have
0: for hot take number one? All right, so since we just went back-to-back St. Joe's, I'm actually I'm going to pull one of my backup takes here. I was actually about to start off with the Hawks as well, which was that Rasheer Fleming, despite being at a scoring number that would say it's not going to happen, will make an all-conference team. I just think he's going to keep getting better and better, and they're going to realize they have to play him more and more minutes. But I'll pass on that for now. I'll flip to someone from Stu's alma mater, and that is Matt Cross, who is going to finish top 10 in conference play in six different categories. I don't have the stat, but I don't think anyone else has done that in a very long time. But he has a serious chance to do it in points, rebounds, assists, steals, field goal percentage, and the one where he may just flat out lead the league in triple nickels. In fact, I'll actually, I'll double this down and say that he will lead the league in triple nickels. The biggest one right now, he's sitting. He's got like four
1: straight or something. (laughs) Yeah. He's
0: sitting at 15th in assists. That's where he's going to have to kick it into gear, but he's gotten himself to five assists. Exactly. In five of his last six games, he's becoming more of a facilitator without his scoring suffering at all. And as teams start to put a little bit more focus into stopping Josh Cohen, I think more and more of this offense is just going to run through Matt Cross. And we saw that yeah. that was the best version of UMass last year, but they just didn't have the guard talent around him that they have now guys actually making shots when he's kicking the ball out. And it, he's he's starting to play like one of the five to maybe at worst seven or eight best players in this league right now. Almost had a triple-double against Siena the other night. Managed to get the quadruple nickel anyway. Eight steals in that game. I think yeah. as this year goes on, he's going to be more of a facilitator. His shots are going to go down a little bit as he hunts for more efficient looks. But he's still going to get enough to hold on to that top 10 scoring spot. And, and rebounds, rebounds and steals will be a given. He's going to be there no matter what with those two.
1: Yeah. I And I could see you on the facilitating front because I think at the beginning of the year, it was a little bit like um, it, it's kind of going to alternate between nights where he goes off or nights where Cohen goes off. But sort of those are our two guys. Um, let's hope they can both be good. But I think it's become a sort of deal where it's like, no, Matt Cross is going to be good. Let's just hope that Josh Cohen is consistently good as well. Cause like he has nights where he's obviously like he had the perfect shooting game in the Hawaii tournament and everything. But um, it seems like he also has more games where he can be shut down. But Matt cross is the only guy we have where it's like, okay, he's going to, he's going to find a way to do his thing. And I think that's becoming obvious to everyone on the team. And so he's going to have the ball in those moments where he's kicking out to open threes just by virtue of, making it obvious that he's our best player.
2: Yeah, I think the cool thing about UMass this year, and this is something that has been talked about on the three-man weave basketball podcasts, and I think it's responsible for a lot of UMass's success this year, but the big men are really good passers, and I think that's something Frank Martin wants to do. Last year, UMass just didn't have the personnel. If you look at really the three main big men, uh, Levesque, Conte, and Gapare, they were all Pretty big turnover, guys, not getting a lot of assists. And we knew Cohen was going to be a good passer coming from his prior years at St. Francis. But yeah, Cross has really improved that aspect of this game. And a lot of it's the guard play, too. I I think that's been a pleasant surprise with um, Keon Thompson and Rashul Diggins, both over 10 points a game this year. But yeah, just overall, the it's still got um, i know at one point in the year UMass was number one in the country and assists to turnover ratio and they're still top 25 it's been really impressive
1: yeah that's that's been that's one of those trademarks like not turning the ball over that like as a fan of a bad team i've known good teams have so yeah. <laughs> it's it's encouraging you know when we start doing stuff like that it, it it gives me that little extra spark of like oh maybe we're onto something here
2: All right, All right, Stu, Stu. what's your uh, your second hot take of the night? So
1: I'm going to stick with the uh, – I'm going to stick with um, – sorry, I had to look at my notes, what I had, which one I want to say first. So my second take has to do with the George Washington, uh, formerly known as Colonials. Um, what I want to say about them is I don't know if it's a hot take but it sort of feels like it is to say they're a pillow fight team um cuz i staunchly believe they are and i've i've uh, disparaged the basketball product i see from them on twitter so i just wanted to now that i have this uh platform so to speak i don't want to run away from from the things i've said <laughs> so i got to stick with gw being a pillow fight team which maybe isn't a hot take according to certain metrics sites, but uh, I don't know, just based on people's, what I've seen on Twitter and uh, just the general dialogue, it seems like people sort of like them as a possible dark horse. And I, I just am not there at all with them. I, I, I think there's too many teams that are, that have more and it's apparent um, for them to sort of climb out of that barrel for me.
0: So the hotness of the take depends on who you want to go ask. If you're looking at Mike DeCourcy's bracketology that has them as the seventh team out of the NCAA tournament, that's beyond scorching. That's, oh my God, get me an entire gallon of milk, <laughs> level hot. But at the same time, Ken Palm projects them to finish 11th. They have, mm-hmm. they've played the second worst schedule in the entire nation, gone 11-2 and two against it. That exact same thing happened last year, and Fordham finished third. So, yeah. you could certainly mm-hmm. take it as hot with that. Th- this was something that I thought about saying myself, because I'm so discouraged by a, a handful of their last six games, where they've played really shitty teams at home, and blown double digit leads against them late in the game and it's really Mm -hmm. scary i i I think last year
1: it's just like like, please i I want to i want to like you guys please win by 30 you know (laughs) like just do it once yeah with
0: with the middle of the league just being so much better this year it's trying to think the right way to say this because right now i think i probably have them ninth as that mm-hmm. very last team to make it above the pillow fight. Okay. But Their their crunch time offense has been an abomination in the month of December.
2: I, I So I agree with your take, Stu, and this is kind of going to go with one of mine coming up. I, I think the opinion on GW has really soured during December, just when, I mean, they've had close calls against Navy going to overtime. Single-digit wins against Alcorn State and Maryland Eastern Shore. I mean, if they play like that going in into the can all three of those games. Yeah, it's – it just hasn't been pretty. I think the argument for GW is that last year their metrics were also really bad, and they still found a way into the middle of the pack, and they won some big games at home against Dayton. They beat Davidson and George Mason on the road. So even though the metrics were horrible, they still found a way to go over five hundred in the conference. But yeah, I think right now there's there's some problems with this team. They're turning the ball over a ton. The defense is still solid, although it's started coming back to earth a little bit the last couple of weeks. And I don't know. I, I think just the overall strength of the conference being better is going to catch up to George Washington, where really they still only have the one pretty good win against Hofstra at home. And otherwise there's just not a whole lot to go off on their resume. But I guess what I, I can, got. yeah, yeah. I'll continue that because it, it goes pretty well with one of my my next hot takes. And this might come as a surprise based on my comments over the last six years. I'm gonna say Saint Louis does not go to the pillow fight. I oh, no, well, don't. Don't get me wrong. I think the Billikens are. You pretty You wanted bad. to? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're pretty bad, but I don't think they're quite as bad as. Just a lot of the discourse around Travis Ford this season, you would think that they're the worst team in the conference. and it's, Yeah, that's.
1: I feel like St. Louis fans have sharpied them into the pillow fight themselves, you know?
2: And I'd say it's still pretty likely, but really where I come from with it, I'll start out by saying I think Fordham and Rhode Island are pretty clearly the two worst teams in the conference. with Sal, just... They're going to win enough games to stay out of last. That's what we've been saying from the beginning of the year, but they've like GW. They've had some close calls this year. And I think the loss against Howard just kind of solidifies that it's not a very talented team right now. Yeah. As we already discussed with GW, I'm not confident in this winning keeping up once they get into more difficult games. The last team that I really don't feel good about. I just, I'll, I'll say St. Louis is better than Loyola Chicago right now that that roster and rotation is still kind of a mess where it's interesting. They've got Alston having another all conference level season. And then just a group of, I think it's seven players averaging between five and 11 points a game. So just kind of a, I I think they need another star to step up and they don't have it. Yeah. They sort of don't know what they are in a way. I don't think they have an identity, whatever it is. It's not the good Loyola teams from the Missouri Valley. And so, I mean, at that point, that's five teams I think St. Louis is finishing ahead of, and it only takes one more to get them out of the pillow fight. So, I'm not quite sure yeah. who that last one is, but just kind of banking on. The well, I mean, sort of, sort of the,
1: re- the rest of the teams are all the teams that are, like, like always grouped together on every metric site. So, I feel like mm-hmm. just, just, like, one of those is going to break away in a good way. Like, we can we can bet that, I feel like, we can go ahead and uh, probably think that one of those teams is going to get screwed by something, some mm. star player getting hurt or. Yeah.
2: I think the other end, too, this has been by far the worst defensive team in Travis Ford's tenure. And I, I think the new transfer rules for them getting Bradley Azuero back, uh, the big transfer from Georgetown, he's already been productive in two games this year. I, I thought he held his own against NC State in their most recent game. I I think the defense is still going to be among the worst in the conference, but it won't be sub 300 by the end of the year. They're going to get a little bit better. They they just have to.
0: So I wanted to go something similar, which is that St. Louis will just simply finish however good they need to for Travis Ford to not get fired. But I can't because I'm apparently the only person who doesn't even think it's a mildly hot take that Travis Ford is going to be their coach next year. So that that wouldn't surprise me at all. But the discussion I want to have is you're listing off your teams there. And it, it's not hard to find the last team because it's it's basically that either Davidson's young roster or UMass's young roster just puts together a few clunkers and all of a sudden they're seven and 11. Mm-hmm. But the one other team outside of kind of the semi-consensus top six that we didn't mention, are we entirely sure that Richmond's not bad? Because I think there's still a universe, especially if Hunt doesn't come back soon, where just no one besides King and Quinn can do anything offensively, and we just look up and they're just in 12th.
2: Richmond's going to be interesting to follow, and I still don't know what to do with them. But what I will say, we are going to find out so much in the next two weeks or three weeks just because they start out with a gauntlet of an A-10 schedule, Home for St. Bonaventure at Loyola, home for George Mason, and then at Duquesne and Davidson. So five pretty challenging games. If Richmond somehow goes three and two or better through that stretch, I think they could be a contender. But if they go one and four or zero oh and five, which is also on the table, then I, I think we'll have our answer that they could very well get off to a bad start and maybe play catch up once their schedule softens up in February.
0: They're one of the yes, two I'm-
2: teams I think I have no
0: gauge on. Well, yeah. The other being Loyola, because I know Loyola has talent and they just can't put it together. Richmond, I feel there's like a twenty percent chance. I feel like that they're just absolutely awful still, and I just I'll, I'll I don't start know to where think to that them. they're
1: bad. But then, like I'll I'll see that they're playing and I'll check the score and they're up like fifty to nineteen, and I'm like, oh, I guess they're not bad.
2: <laughs> I, well, Richmond's the one team in the conference. I, I think I would say they've won all the games they were supposed to and they've lost all the games they were supposed to. Like, have they really had a that surprising of a result? I mean, I kind of hope they would compete a little bit more at Wichita State where they lost by 12. But otherwise, nothing's been that out of the ordinary. Their metrics are just high because they're blowing out some really bad teams this year.
0: And mm-hmm. the only one is in the moment watching that game, it felt like they should have beaten Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. But even that, I think they were two-point dogs that night, so... Because it was it was in um I can't think of what the hell city that t- Northern Iowa plays in but wherever right. I just out, feel like Northern,
1: Northern out Iowa out is Appen always going to be a close game.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say I I don't think Richmond's going to the Pilgrim fight. I I do think even though we have no idea what they are, I, I think they are better than last year. Uh, They've gotten back to taking care of the ball, just uh, second in the country and preventing turnovers on offense. I'm kind of disappointed. They're middle of the pack or actually below average in generating assists off their made field goals, which I thought they'd get back to an elite level in the A-10 and that hasn't happened. But I think a lot of that has just been Jordan King being able to create so much on his own. And it, it would be nice if they got Delaney Hunt back for this tough stretch of the conference season, but even without that, I think I think they're a middle of the pack team, but we'll just find out. They kind of just scream nine and nine to me, based on how their season's been going. Don't don't
1: a lot of teams.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's always like that this time of year.
0: All right, hot take number six here. I believe that the pillow fight and the double buy will be separated by a mere two games this year. Last year, the first year with the expanded pillow fight, it was four. In years past, it was typically six or seven, largely because you normally need 12 wins to get to fourth place. I think this year it might just be 10, or even actually probably 11. There's also a universe that this middle that we're debating right now could be so good that finishing 500 and losing a tiebreaker might send you to a Tuesday game. It, this is all just based on the fact that I look at this conference right now, and as I talked about earlier, Dayton is a 14-16 to 16 win team with probably either Duquesne or St. Joe's, maybe the Bonnies, coming up and challenging them throughout for the title. On the flip side, Rhode Island's a four or five, actually probably a three to five win team in conference. And they're going to finish in last unless one of the other pillow fight candidates suffers an untimely injury. And all of a sudden they're Duquesne of two years ago and they're just awful. But other than that, I think the middle is just going to be an anyone can beat anyone slog fest throughout the year. Third place is probably 12 wins. All of a sudden you're looking at 10 or 11 to get the four seed and i think someone's going to go into the last week of the year in a situation where going 2 and 0 gets them a double bye going 0 and 2 knocks them down to having to play five games
1: yeah and and like you guys were saying uh like the very bottom might just be awful like two two or three wins but like whoever finishes in like 10th is going to have yeah is 7 and 11 i don't know
2: I think the best comparison to this is actually the last three bid season in 2018 where Rhode Island, St. Bonaventure and Davidson all made the tournament. St. Joe's snuck into fourth place at 10 and eight. And then there was there's a four way tie at nine and nine coming after that. And there ended up being three teams at seven and 11 with, I think it was GW and Duquesne ending up in the pillow fight. So that was only separated by three games with the expanded Mm -hmm. pillow fight. I, I think that's a possibility. And, I think it also just speaks to how easy it is to go to the pillow fight in the current alignment of the A10, where if you go eight and ten, that might not be good enough anymore, which is kind of shocking. Yeah,
1: it no longer has like quite the same ring to it, like as a insult to other teams because of that. It's like, well, sure, we'll, we're going to the pillow fight, but so are so is half the league, you know. Like...
0: Yeah, and just for anyone who doesn't want to try to figure out the math behind this, let's just throw out a theoretical. So, going off of what I said earlier, Dayton, St. Joe's, Duquesne are your top three in some order. St. Bonaventure goes 11 and 7. VCU and Mason file in behind them, maybe even at the same record. Actually, let's even say that three way tie at 11 and 7 for a double buy. Then you get this break off where Richmond, Davidson, and Slew all go 9 and 9. Along with GW, and now one of them is sitting at 500 in in the pillow fight. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you're going to need two awful teams at the bottom for this win distribution to work out this way, but I, I really think it could happen. Especially if uh, I'm I'm still tentative about Fordham because their defense is so good. But is we might, we might good? realize we might realize two weeks into the season that they absolutely suck. Like four and 14 levels suck.
2: No, I, I, have they cannot that.
0: score uh, on <laughs> anybody I'm watching. And then every time they do actually go off offensively against these terrible teams, those are the same days where their defense looks bad. Like that Central Connecticut State game, if they're going to break 70 against a team that awful, they should win every time.
1: Yeah. And Central Connecticut as as a fan who faced Central Connecticut State, they are
2: bad, bad. I'm just not sure well, I agree with Fordham's defense being great. I think it's okay this year, but it's clearly not what it was last season when they had a lot of success. It's fine. It's sixth in the A ten and defensive efficiency. So that's yeah, but not, like if you that's not terrible, top, but
0: if you have a top half in the league defense, which I think they which I think is actually real for them then you simply just shouldn't be one of the three worst teams in the league. But they're uh, going to be 15th with a bullet in offense.
2: All I'm saying is Saturday, March 9th, Rhode Island going to Rose Hill, we could very well have like a matchup between two teams. That 2 the game's going to be 18 or...
1: to 16 with three minutes left.
2: Well, I don't know. The problem is Rhode Island's so bad at defense that Fordham might even be able to put up points against yeah. that team. <laughs> that, that is truly a a, um, a great way to end the season. We get the game of the year. It's the couch, yeah. my eyes out yeah. cup,
0: yeah. So I do want to note real quick before we move on to this, Central Connecticut State. So we have a comparative here. They played three different A-10 teams in their own buildings, all about a month apart from each other. Opening night they lose at Rhode Island by eleven. Then in early then in um around Thanksgiving, they lose at UMass by twenty-nine. And then right before Christmas, beat Fordham by two. They put up eighty-two points on Fordham and put up sixty on UMass.
2: I'm seeing that they beat UMass fifty-seven to fifty-four on uh December sixteenth. oh oh, it's umass Mobile. sorry they're not the flagship anymore my my apologies (laughs) you were (laughs) referring to the flagship we were talking about amherst i forgot you guys won that back no umass
0: (laughs) UMass amherst is the flagship
1: oh we could we're allowed to call our yeah you're right we won that game so we're allowed to call ourselves that again i kind of kicked their ass in that game (laughs) yeah about time needed to quit messing around all
0: right Stu, number seven
1: Alrighty. Um so um just as I uh disparaged uh one George team, I'd like to compliment um another George team. And if I'm picking a dark horse to make the double buy out of that large middle that we see, I like George Mason because I know there's a thing with the new coach who doesn't know the league incredibly well um, or at all. Um, but I I just like what I see from George Mason in a, and I don't want to sound like corny, but, but like their attitude and their, their buy-in so to speak has been uh, apparent. And I just feel like of all the teams in that middle, the teams that are going to sort of make that leap, and enter the double buy conversation are going to have to be the teams that like actually get better and actually believe in what they're trying to do um so even though George Mason's star power isn't crazy like if you were just like describing the roster to someone they wouldn't be like oh holy yeah but uh i like what they're doing over there and i like their culture and i'll I'll buy into it so
0: i'm ready to go pro and con on this the pro their double games are GW, Richmond, Rhode Island, and Loyola. The schedule is very, very, very much on their side. They get VCU and the Bonnies at home, along with Dayton and Duquesne. So, really, the only particularly good team that they have to play on the road is Saint Joe's. So, they if they can go seven and two at home, pull off an upset or two against one of the five teams that I I think is clearly more talented than them, then they could very well get there. And for how impressive they've looked all year long, they've done it with Ronald polite playing nowhere near the level he did last year. If he gets back to that, they have two surefire top 10 guys in the league. They've done it with no depth up front because they didn't have Malik Henry for that two lane game and one against a good AAC team with Keyshawn Hall playing the backup center minutes for them. So there's a lot to like on the flip side. The reason that I would say it's hot and why I wouldn't predict it to happen.
1: I just think that there's five teams that are just more talented than that roster. Yeah. And and you're probably, you're probably right. Like I'm just taking that leap of faith, but like as far as a rebuttal to that beyond the leap of faith in the culture and what Tony skin's been, been up to over there, like that's, that's kind of all
2: I have. I think it is fair, though, to praise their cohesion this year, because if there was ever a team that would start out slow, it would be the one with nine or ten newcomers and the new coach who has no head coaching experience. It's impressive that they're 11-2. I think we'll figure out, though, pretty soon, just once they start getting into more difficult games, where really their one elite test was getting blown out at Tennessee, and Outside of winning at Tulane and pretty good win at Toledo, we just haven't seen them prove it very much on a bigger stage. So definitely think the defense has been a strong point for the team. I'm I'm wondering how the three-point defense just it once they start getting into like the Daytons, the St. Bonaventures, the VCUs, there's there's a lot of teams in the A-10, uh, Duquesne also that can really shoot the ball this year. And defending the perimeter hasn't been as strong of a point where I, I don't think that's going to kill you as much against some of these mid majors they've been playing. So we'll, we'll just find out. But yeah, I certainly don't think many people have them at 11 and 2 at this point in the year.
1: Yeah. And like you were saying with uh, Polite, like you wouldn't, if I had told you he wasn't going to be one of the best three players, that would have been a huge shock, like to this point in the season. So they have room to grow as well.
2: All right, for my last hot take, and I don't even know how hot this is. I, I wasn't sure the best way to phrase it because I don't quite think he's an all-conference player, but I really just wanted to talk about him after some of his recent games. I'm going to say that Reed Bailey is going to have a double-double at some point this season, and that would have sounded wild last year when he was the 6'11 man who could not grab a rebound. This year, that title pretty much goes to Bruce Sang at St. Louis, but especially after watching him against Ohio over the weekend. Bailey is crashing the boards. He's actually playing physical right now, and he's just been a big part, I think, of Davidson's growth from last year where the Wildcats, the the shots still aren't falling. They're not really a good three-point shooting team, but their style of basketball and just sharing the ball and being good teammates, it, it really reflects what we've seen during the good years since they've been in the eight town
0: So quick shameless plug, uh, I put up an article on Busting Brackets, go read it, some takeaways about Davidson's win and then St. Bonaventure's in those Cleveland games on Saturday. And, and the first thing I talk about is pretty similar to what you just went on right there about Reed Bailey and how impressive he's starting to play. So I'll keep it really short and sweet here somehow in the last like two weeks that dude figured out how to actually play center
2: Mm -hmm. well that was huge they didn't have skogman so he had to and even though he only had six rebounds in that ohio game he was contesting a lot of a lot of plays under the basket and just being a force where last year we wouldn't see him involved in any of that so I think a lot of it, too, just his big games have come recently where he only had 10 points in their MTE games against Maryland and Clemson. Kind of looked like he was just headed toward another year as a role player. And all of a sudden, I mean, 15 against Ohio, 19 against Miami, Ohio, 14 against Wright State. He started to really maybe it's just the Ohio team. So Dayton needs to watch out. But he's starting to just play much bigger of a role on the team.
0: Yeah, and in crunch time of that Ohio game, they went to him in the post five out of six possessions. He scored 10 points on those five possessions. That was just something that, like, if you had given him, like, 20 games worth worth of post-ups late in last season, I'm not sure I would have been confident he would have scored 10 points.
2: Yeah, and I, I think last year, too, he had a total of five games in double figures. This year, he's already matched that or surpassed it, actually. I think we'll we'll see it at some point. He's going to get to that 10 rebound mark. He's just much more involved, and I I feel like he's a big candidate. Don't think he'll quite get to the all-conference level just because Davidson won't be good enough, and Grant Huffman's also clearly their best player right now. But he's a breakout candidate to watch for the second half of this year and, of course, going into next year. And I'm I'm not,
1: for what it's worth, I'm not ready to say – David won't Davidson won't be good enough either. Like there are another team yep. for me that like I could see it, you know, not one of the top two, but below that, I could, I could see the vision.
2: They're, they're going to be in the mix. And this is actually something, I, I don't have the exact stat, but I tried to track it in uh wow, believe it or not, this is the 10th year they've been in the A10. But if you just look at their Ken Palm numbers going into conference play and at the end of the season, I think it's at least seven or eight years where they have in, improved their mark during conference play, and they—they've kind of like Saint Bonaventure. It wouldn't be a program that you'd be surprised to see overachieve in conference play based on what we see the first two months. It's a complicated system they run. They brought in some new guys again this year, so yeah. I mean, it hasn't been a terribly difficult schedule, but. I wouldn't count them out at this point either.
0: Yeah, and this this take actually might look incredibly stupid in 48 hours because I and I probably should ask asked him directly, but McKillop had a chance to say whether or not Skogman was coming back for the Dayton game and just didn't comment on it. If he doesn't play and it's just Reed Bailey against Holmes with no real backup center, there's a good chance that he is just going to look awful in that game because yeah. being able to play some center and being able to play center against deron holmes are two very very different things and that skinny boy is going to get pushed around
2: i'm interested to see that matchup too because i think last year deron holmes had his best and worst games of the year against davidson uh 32 in the uh, second game of the a10 season last year where he just dominated throughout and then in the home game between Dayton and Davidson, he was held to just four points and really wasn't a factor at all. So I, I don't I don't remember who they had matched up on him. I know it was Sean Logan a lot in the first game. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, some mixed results between Deron Holmes and Davidson last year. All
0: right, for our final Power 8 hot take. One that feels scalding at this point. That two months ago, I kind of hinted at when we did our Power 12 hot takes, and it didn't seem quite so warm. But the VCU Rams will be returning to the NCA tournament at the end of this season. Hmm. Now their at-large bids are just about their at-large bid hopes are just about dead. Losing two bye games in the non-conference without being able to capitalize. In those big opportunities against Iowa State and Memphis, in the way that Dayton did against Kansas and Miami two years ago, it, it basically kills them. They'd probably have to go like 16 and two, given that they do play a pretty tough schedule. It would have to be a runaway, clearly, the best team in this league the next two months to do it. And as they try to integrate Bearstow and Bamisil in, I just don't think they're going to be able to do so. They're going to have some growing pains early on. But this team is perfectly primed to win the conference tournament if they can just get themselves into third or fourth while they're still figuring everything out. And you look at these games that they've lost. Their two best chances, blowing a double-digit lead against Iowa State, not being able to close out the final offensive possession against Memphis even really just struggling to make a shot in crunch time against Norfolk state, a game that they absolutely should have won. Those problems were made by the fact that they only had one guy in Max Shulga that you felt like could make a play in those moments. Now, all of a sudden they have three and three true all conference level talents between him, Cameron Barristow, Sean Barristow, whatever the hell his name is. I haven't had to talk about him for two months. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't remember who he is anymore. Mark it down. That's one for our over-unders. And Joe Bamasil, who once again, I want to remind everybody. A-10 legend. Was, <laughs> was a top 10 guy in the conference the last time he played here. He was better than James Bishop the year that they played together. He has come back, granted, against bad competition and put up 11, 13, and 21 points respectively in those games while playing 25 or less minutes in all of them. Max Shulga has his running mate now. He has another crunch time dude to play with him. And now all of a sudden, this VCU roster has restored itself to have just an unbelievable top 10 guys in terms of talent. And now you don't have to run a, a bunch of defense first guys and Zeb Jackson, Michael Bell, Kwani Kewani and Toby Lawall out there in crunch time at the same time they're going to be one of the better teams in the league in that regard. And I just think once it gets down to three days and having to win three games, they have so many options of places to go to. They have three veteran scorers. They have all of these young athletes between bell and Furman and LaWall and billups and different dudes are going to step up on different days for this team that I, I think might still have the second most talented roster in this league. I'm not even sure it's a stretch to say that it might be the most talented, but they're going to come through in March. And if we get a Duquesne or a St. Joe's winning 14, 15 games in conference play and really giving Davidson a run for their money or really giving Dayton a run for their money. That's, that's the path to three.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. We're I, not I, dead fair. yet, boys. No, we're not. And I, I think for anybody too, and I don't even care that it's, there's pretty much nothing like this edition of the VCU Rams that's similar to their other years in the A10. I mean, they play a different style, it's none of the same players, pretty much a different coach in his first year. But if you've been watching the A10, if you ever say VCU is dead, you're just not paying attention. I think, yeah. And they're they're starting to play some good basketball, albeit against weaker teams. And th- this is something Tyler that you called at the beginning of the year: they were going to have a bad non-conference and then ruin some teams' hopes. And it certainly feels like that is about to happen. I I'm not quite locked in as VCU is a double by team just yet they just they need to prove it to me that they can get it done in a big game before i really get excited and their first big chance really comes up on opening night when they host St. Bonaventure i mean that would probably be their best win of the season so far if they get it so They're we'll find out quickly teams,
1: like you could you could see their path going like several different ways like you could see them going like 11 and 7 and then winning the conference tournament or you could see them going like like 15 and three and then they flame out like they're 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 hard to get a read on and i think Mm -hmm. it's because of the injuries and returning players and everything but yeah i i agree that um i think they are a double buy team um so i agree with the main point of them being at least that type of good um but a lot of games left so
0: yeah, it, I think it's so hard to evaluate them too, because how often do you see a team just pick up two of their three best players at the end of December? Like one of the mm-hmm. few comparables we have is this year's West Virginia, who was basically missing three of their four best guys for the year. They get Kirk Crease back the game before UMass, they get Noah Farrakhan against UMass, and then they get Raekwon battle the game after uh, it, UMass kicked the crap out of them in the last 10 minutes of that game. They looked like at that point, like they might be the worst team in the big 12. And then the other day I watched them push a probable NCAA tournament team in Ohio state to the brink being led by a whole bunch of dudes who weren't there two weeks ago. Right. Yeah. VCU might have a similar effect here where you put on the Norfolk state tape versus a game that they play at the end of January. And it might just look like entirely different teams.
1: Yeah just a different roster up and down a whole different identity based on what they had
2: i Uh, I just i have one more take real quick i I just since we haven't talked about them at all really but i I feel like it's just been alluded to in some of our own takes i I don't really think it's a foregone conclusion that dayton wins the a10 i know i said I, i think them and st joe's will run away but I mean, the Flyers really don't have that much depth and they're one bad, unfortunate event happening away from struggling this year. I, I think clearly they've played the best the first two months of the year, but I mean there's a lot of teams that have the potential and the talent to catch them. VCU being one of those examples.
1: Yeah, if if the if the bet was Dayton or the field, do you feel more than
2: fifty percent
1: confident in Dayton or less?
2: I mean, I don't. I think it, it's close. I mean, right now, if you, uh, which I wouldn't encourage anyone, but if you go on the sports books, it's about three to one still for Dayton to win the A10. So, I mean, if, yeah, you're, cause I, if you Yeah, because I was going to say I'd him, take
1: the field. So, yeah,
2: I, I still would too. I, I think Dayton yeah. certainly is the best chance out of anybody and pretty much all yes. the other contenders. Like I think St. Joe's, Duquesne, and St. Bonaventure at VCU also, they're all around six or seven to one. So it's pretty pretty close between those teams but i, I would 100 yeah. percent take the field right now
1: yeah it's it, it i think in my in my heart i'd give like 30 percent chance to dayton which would be the best but like there'd mm-hmm. be a lot of like there'd be a whole litany of teams with like a 17 percent chance you know <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly so, yep yeah
0: yeah, I mean, if you gave me over-under finishing place two-and-a-half, I'd take the under and not even think twice about it. Yeah. I think I think they're a top-two team, and for them to lose, it's because someone comes and just beats them. Yeah, It mm-hmm. probably could happen. I, I I think it's probably closer to 50-50 than 30-70 that they win, but someone's going to rise up and challenge them. Mm-hmm. And then it probably just comes down to what happens in their head-to-head.
2: I mean, all it takes is one team, like VCU last year, going 15 and three. And again, we we've said it before, but going into the conference season last year, I don't think we thought VCU was the best team at that point. They were mm-hmm. coming off a couple. It's the same kind time of everyone games.
0: sucked going into last year. So
2: I mean, I know for a fact <laughs> I I picked St. Louis last year. At this point, I'm not doing that again, but. Uh, yeah, I mean VCU certainly was not an overwhelming favorite, and by the end of the year, they were head and shoulders above the conference. I think so. I think there's still a lot that can happen.
0: One, two at this point last year.
2: Wait, who was number one? I think I
0: picked Dayton, UMass, one, two. Oh, okay.
1: Oh man, well, I think I just punted. Noah was like Fernandes
0: nobody's good. Hurt. We know Dayton will be. We know Dayton will at least be fine. So I might as well just take them.
1: Hey man, if if Fernandez never got hurt, who knows? You might have been right. We don't live in that world, unfortunately.
2: Well, I I think though since UMass is having a better season, and I know that we uh we already have talked a little bit about them, but Stu, are there any other thoughts on on the Minutemen that you want to share this year? Just what you're expecting for the rest of the season, what you've thought about the non conference so far, and just how it's met your expectations. Uh
1: yeah, um the non con I think was a net positive. um, And I say that not necessarily because of pure results. Like I didn't expect us to be in the at-large conversation. So I'm not really worried about like, man, I wish we could have had that Georgia tech game, you know, like, but um, the, the team that I'm seeing out there um, and just like a chemistry body language attitude and effort, like, from that side of things. This is one of the best UMass teams. Um just based on all of the above that I've seen during my fanhood, which obviously for a large duration there have not been a lot lar- a lot of good teams in that stretch. But um I still it still feels very encouraging to see like I, I feel like we're gonna play with everyone just based on how hard we play. And I have not been able to say that. Like, I've certainly overestimated them in the past, but it's been because of like, oh, Luan Pipkins is really talented. Or like, oh, we have Trey Mitchell and Noah Fernandes, and they're like, we have enough star power to like the reasons for it. It feels good to root for a team where it's like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe they go nine and nine because they're super young and whatever, but I, I feel good about the vision and the, the short and long-term future based on just the product that I see.
0: And I'm still, I'd still be scared to death playing them on any given night because of the three to six games we're going to get where if either Curry or Davis just gets hot, all of a Mm -hmm. sudden the pieces kind of fall into place all over this roster.
1: Yeah. And we're starting to figure out who we are a little bit as far as like the the hierarchy and roles and okay, Keon Thompson, you, you're just going to drive to the basket as hard as you can. And that's the thing you do, you know, like we're, we're carving it out. Well, so it, it's been, it's been easy to follow and easy to root for because they're likable guys and they, they try hard and sometimes they can't hit a free throw, but uh, you know, they'll get there.
0: So my, my last kind of nitty gritty UMass thing because if you're not watching the team, you might not even know who he is. But I have him sixth right now if I were to power rank the rookies. He truly deserves to be a borderline all rookie guy and I don't I don't think he has a chance in hell because he's never going to score this year. But sell everybody on Jaden Jingay
1: legit being one of the better rookies in this league. Um just the type of player that we haven't often had um just has sort of that like that classic like I don't know what a good mentality you guys like Dayton. So maybe like a Trey Landers just winning player. Um you trust him out there in the last four minutes. Um, not necessarily to score the ball, but like if that rebound is up, you know he has a good chance for it on the offensive glass. And if there's a loose ball, you know you're gonna see him on the ground. Um, so he's been sort of an identity guy for us. And I feel like not having a lot of those, he's been extra important for us, um, especially on a team where that's incredibly young. Um, We've sort of needed young guys to take on more of those leadership roles and that leading by example role. So he's been clutch for us. And uh, I don't know if the stats are ever going to get insane because I just don't think like – That's the style of ball he plays. He's not out there caring about that, but um, I think if we win enough games, he might get recognized just because his stats across the board are, are all going to be solid. You know, like he's not, he does everything at least pretty well. If he's open for the three, he can drop it. Uh, And like I said, all the things like offensive rebounding, he's going to get to the line. He's got a knack for finishing around the rim. So yeah, just likable all around, tough guy.
0: And talent alone, that freshman guard group, he's not even close to what Davis and Curry are. But he has an incredible instinct already to his game. It mm-hmm. just feels like you're watching you're watching UMass in the last ten minutes, and just in every moment he needs to be, he finds the right spot to be. Yeah, And it just had it. It happens too much for it to just be the circumstance of playing around the
1: two bigs. Yeah, he he. you can make an argument that he's been our third best player so far. I mean, I know like Rasul Diggins is, is scoring more and like Keon is filling up the stat sheet as far as uh, how often he's able to get to the rim and his assists by virtue of kicking out. But I feel like if I'm thinking of who are the top three guys that I need on the court? If it's like an A ten tournament game, I'm going Cross, Cohen, Jinge in that order. Like at this point. All
0: right, so we'll so close yeah, it J- out. Jane and Jinge, you know.
1: all rookie. I, I I I support that movement. <laughs>
0: the, the thing that's going to hurt him is that there's five good rookies who all put up numbers: Johnson, Buchanan, Brown, Ruben, and um...
2: Bobby Buckus.
0: Yeah, Bobby Buck, Bobby J- Bobby now. Big Shots. Who's the Rookie of
1: the Year right now? Garrett Johnson. Well,
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa. actually, Mm -hmm. Xavier Brown's played out of his mind. I think it would have to. If St. Joe's keeps winning and he's one of their best players, I'd take Xavier Brown, probably. If
0: the stats stay close, it'll be Garrett Johnson because he's just going to get a little bump from the story, too. Mm -hmm. But they're both too good, and it killed the fact that I really wanted to make a Darren Buchanan Rookie of the Year hot take argument. But there's, there's just no way both of those guys would have to take a step back.
2: All right, since we're on GW, I just want to give two real quick stats that I found fascinating. Uh, number one, who in the world would have expected Maximus Edwards to be fourth in scoring on that team? Because he's behind Bishop and both the main freshmen. Uh, my other one, and this can be a little bit of a, uh, an over-under for us. So the big man stretch, Akinbola. Is at 45 blocks this year, which is just insane. Wow. He's only attempted 38 field goals. So, do we think he ends the year? Does he win that race with, with <laughs> more shots or shots blocked? Because blocked? he is the epitome of an all defensive player that will contribute pretty much nothing.
1: I'll let it ride. I'm not cashing out now.
2: I'll say blocks.
1: I think it's
0: shots just because he's going to face some better offensive centers here coming up
2: but he's not going to be shooting against those guys either. The,
0: the GW thing that kind of defines being surprised that Edwards isn't scoring as much as he as we thought going into the year, our mutual friend Tristan Freeman mentioned something over the weekend of like, what are the chances that Garrett Johnson's just on a Power 5 team next year? I think the circumstances of his journey and the fact that he clearly wants to be at a good academic institution, it wouldn't happen. But then I started thinking about it, and all the while I'm watching Jamison Battle light it up for Ohio State from a few dozen yards away, and I realized, oh my God, Garrett, three years of Garrett Johnson on a NCAA tournament level Power Five team as just their fourth offensive option would be pretty incredible. Yeah, that dude's game would translate immediately.
1: You know he's gonna break uh, an A ten. Uh, NCAA tournament team's heart somewhere down the line. <laughs> uh, uh, he's actually, he's destined to leave GW
0: as a grad transfer and just go to Duke. And That's, that's the
1: final hot take Garrett he's Johnson gonna, to Duke. Garrett,
0: <laughs> Garrett Johnson in, I'm doing the math right now of the years, Garrett Johnson is hitting six threes in a Duke uniform in a game in the 2028 NCAA tournament. It's what Ryan you
1: Langborn's destiny should have been, but he went to Northwestern instead. You need to fire that off to f- Flaming Hot Takes just in case, like, like while you're while you're having it.
0: Hey, I was right years ago about how great Jamison Battle would have been on an awesome team. Garrett Johnson's going to do the same thing. He's next up, yeah.
2: Hey, it could, could be an awesome GW team in a couple years too. You know, we, we like the direction that program's going. Let's, let's keep it keep it positive on the a10 front right yeah i
0: mean they're all right loo- i'm sorry they're only losing two <laughs> contributors
2: yeah I, I, so they, like they,
0: theoretically all of their good young guys should have reason to want to come back i,
2: I feel like so. we should have to should have to say that after we all kind of agree, gw is a borderline total fight team but yeah, yeah they, they've still done some good things this year they're not 11 and 2 for nothing
0: hey put away navy and maryland eastern shore with a little bit of with a little bit of yeah. gumption, and we wouldn't have to have the conversation. They exactly, just win inside. by like
1: win by like thirteen. I don't yeah. know. All right. So. Yeah, I I, I didn't want to have a uh, yeah before I I sign off here with you guys. I didn't want to have a uh UMass t- take today. But speaking of like retaining talent, maybe that can be my one yeah. UMass take. Is like we'll keep some of our good freshmen for next year. I'll say that just to send the good juju into the universe.
0: Well, and it just seems like these guys just like Frank Martin more than last year's team. And right. I'm pretty sure if you don't like Frank Martin by the time it gets to March, you're probably
1: ready to just fight him. Yeah. <laughs> you lose 71 to 38 in the first game.
0: <laughs> we'll see if they're if they're getting pummeled in the A-10 tournament again. Because eight minutes into that game, they quit. They were yeah. done. That team just that, that's if they weren't trying to keep their reputations intact to transfer somewhere good i think the team would just walked off the court at the under 12 media timeout if right. their season yeah. ends in a blowout this year and all of a sudden Jinge and Jalen yeah. curry are still are still scrapping at the end of that game then frank martin has gotten to them in the right way i,
2: I think last yeah. year's a 10 tournament was as close as we've had in basketball to Florida State just opting out of their bowl and getting blown out by sixty. <laughs> I don't think UMass cared about that. A
1: hey, uh, a fired Matt McCall had a much better showing in the tournament oh. than that. Yeah. Oh yeah,
2: that they scared Dayton that year. Why yeah. did <laughs>
0: Matt McCall almost knock Dayton out of the NCAA tournament right then and
1: there? A fired Matt McCall has basically turned into Adolf Rupp, like <laughs> lit a spark in his bones. <laughs>
0: I mean, media Matt McCall, maybe the eight Rupp of coming onto this podcast. If anyone, Heck yeah. Before we sign off, since we brought it up, <laughs> I'm just plugging it now. Everybody, go back if you did not listen to Matt McCall come on here last week and talk about the start of conference play. That episode is no insult to any of the three of us talking on here. If you listen to this and you enjoyed it. You will love Matt McCall coming on because that was yep. certainly the best episode we've had since the season started. Go back and listen to that. But speaking of UMass, Stu, before we let you go, give us a prediction. We've talked about the middle of the pack here. Where does UMass
1: finish this season? Um, you know, I I'm I'm tired of of uh of saying too much about them. So I'll just go slightly, I'll take it down a notch this year and I'll say ten and eight. Give me a uh, give me a solidly above five hundred season, and I think we'll be off to a good start.
0: All right, we'll see what the Minutemen do. That does it for the Power Eight hot takes. No longer Power Twelve. The conference is good again. It's Stu <laughs> Lutke. I, I got to do the math. I do believe that you broke a tie with Dr. John Gianini today and That's reclaimed your spot as the most frequent guest in the history of this podcast. But I'll have to go look it up. Where can everyone find your your UMass basketball commentary, uh, A10 basketball commentary and occasionally
1: pictures of you hanging out with your two children? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always I got an easy name to rhyme and I love hip hop, so I'm always uh, changing up my uh, my hip hop Twitter handle right now. I'm Stu Chains, but you can find me at S. Ledeke 93, that's S-L-U-D-D-E-C-K-E 93 on Twitter, and I'll give a follow back, and I'll be happy to talk A-10 ball. Yeah, and if
0: UMass gets a double buy, I think you have to write a Busting Brackets article about it before the year is done. Yeah, I'll be back. Semi-retired Busting Brackets writer, Stu Ledeke, thank you for joining us once again. Thanks, boys. All right, that does it for our Hot Takes episode. We'll be back just about once a week for now. And if any big, big moments happen on a certain day in conference play, we'll give you a second episode. But as we move into this long 18-game A-10 season, we will be with you with some of the best guests in the A-10. So be sure to keep listening. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter at the number three bid league pod get excited we got six early games on wednesday and then a standalone nine o'clock between two contenders vcu and st bonaventure it's going to be a fun way to kick everything off and enjoy the beginning of this happy new year